with the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Hello everyone, we have a passage of scripture we want to share with you as we get started on this edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. Coming from Isaiah 66, verse 12, says, For this is what the Lord says, I will make peace flow to her like a river, and the wealth of nations like a flood. You will nurse and be carried on her hip and bounced on her lap. As a mother comforts her son, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Going over to verse 22, For just as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make will remain before me, this is the Lord's declaration, so your offspring and your name will remain. All mankind will come to worship from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, says the Lord. This is the word of God. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of Christian apologetics while taking the truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast. My name is Curtis Evelo and I'm joined by Brian Chilton as we answer your most pressing apologetic and theological questions of the day. Well, hello everyone. We've been praying for you. Well, we're going to get right into it, so let's welcome the man that's mastered the art of holding his eyelids open with tape and toothpicks, Brian Chilton. You got that right. It's uh, been I've been finishing out this uh, this uh, well the critical reviews for uh, this class in bibliology, which is known as being one of the most difficult in the entire program. And I read something like close to 400 pages in two days. And yes, there were a lot of toothpicks that were used in that process. <laughs> I don't even know how you can retain what you read in two days like that. I don't That's either. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's truly amazing. Well, yeah. now you'll understand if I keep asking, uh, if, if you ask what my name is and I can't give you an answer. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in the corner, sucking your thumb. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, At least yeah. hopefully I'll have one of those little, you know, suckers that you have like on the rings. Maybe you can use something like that. Almost like a pacifier, except it's got a sucker to it. Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. So today uh, is our is our ninth and final podcast. Um, we're going to get into the eighth uh, attribute of God. Um, and uh, it's what it's what's interesting is this is probably one of it's it's probably the hardest to understand, but it's also one of the most powerful to understand. I feel. I think you're right. Yeah. So why don't we go ahead and just jump right in um, and let's get into it. So today we're going to be covering the transcendence of God. So what is Brian? What is the transcendence and immanence of God? So when we talk about the transcendence of God, we're emphasizing God's distinction from his creation and his exaltation over it. So uh, transcendence means that God is, well, even as we've been mentioning throughout this, this series, this on basic theology, which I know we're talking about maybe doing some more of these basic theology um, uh, uh, podcasts, uh, series, uh, in in uh, in the days and months ahead, uh, but uh, as we've already seen, we were talking about the attributes of God. We're talking about how God is not restrained by creation, but God is over creation, and this is important for us to understand because when we talk about the aseity of God, meaning God's self-sustaining existence, we we come to a point where we realize that God does not depend on us. And this is a hard pill for some people to swallow. God does not depend on us, but we and everything that exists depends on God for for its existence. So um, when we talk about eminence, however, we're talking about, which we'll come back to this, I'm sure, a little bit later, but eminence is talking about the nearness of God to us. So God is transcendent, meaning that he is above and beyond all of creation, yet he's very personal. Now, Karl Barth, uh, we were talking about this before the podcast. Uh, in fact, he was the one, I, of uh, the 400 pages I read, all of it came from his Church Dogmatics book, uh, or which is a huge series that he wrote. Uh, but Karl Barth noted that God is wholly over creation. He's not part of the universe. God is not the soul of the universe. 
even though God is fully in the universe, which talks about his eminence. God is the eternal, uncreated, absolute, self-contained, self-existent, sovereign creator of all things, by whose power all things exist and have their form and have their being. And so just as uh, Thomas Aquinas would say, God is pure actuality, which means that God is existence itself. God is being itself. Uh, really fascinating when we stop to consider that. Right. And when you said that, just something clicked. Um, Acts 17, where, where Paul's preaching to the Areopagus, he's, he's, um, he says, in, in him we move and have our being. Absolutely. So, yeah. And in the and and that very point is speaking to the transcendence of God. I mean, it's funny because we we're going to come back to Acts seventeen when we talk about the eminence of God. But you're absolutely right. The transcendence of God is seen in that passage of Scripture and in a fascinating way because he even shows that that God doesn't need to have a temple or a building in which he lives because why would God need something like that? Because mm-hmm. God is totally other. He's the totally otherness from creation. Uh, he is above and beyond anything we could ever think or know. Hmm. Powerful. Yeah, that's the transcendence part is, is something that um, you know, he's not only outside of time, but inside of time uh, over um, everything and throughout us. You know, that's that's something that's it's hard for us to comprehend, but I, I think it also provides a bit of uh, a bit of comfort when we actually grasp a hold of it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it comfort in knowing that uh, that God is with us, but also wonder. Uh, you know, in fact, I, I'm a stargazer. I love astronomy. And um, one night, of course, it's raining here. I'm on the back deck. If you hear some water dripping, it's coming from the rain, and we got crickets and stuff going still. But there was one clear night uh, last week, I believe it was. Where I went out at night, and the, the humidity was low, so there was a good view of the sky. So I actually got out there and, and, and lay down on the, the sidewalk and just looked up at the, at the starry heavens above me. And it was almost, it was really overwhelming to stop and consider just how massive this universe is. And God is even far above and beyond even this universe. This universe isn't but a drop in the bucket to the size of God and and the power of God. And when we really just get a grasp of the immensity of God, it's really, it almost, I've never been in a big cathedral, but it almost seems like a big cathedral would almost be intimidating in a sense because you have this large structure and they design it that way so that you'll you'll catch a glimpse of the the, uh, immensity of God. But if you really stop and think of the cathedral of the universe, it's, it's, it's nothing compared to the immensity of God uh, above and beyond all that exists. I mean, even I, I envy you, Curtis, because, you know, seeing the big sky country out of Montana, going out in a night sky and looking at the heavens as, as you can do there, it's just unbelievable, I'm sure, to see the amazing beauty of God's creation. Yeah, and... and so the past couple of weeks we've been um, kind of kept under the smoke coming up from the uh, wildfires out of California and Oregon. And so we've been really kind of been fo- uh, fogged in or, or smoked in here. We couldn't see anything. Well, uh, last week we had a, a little bit of rain, just a, just a small break. I think it was a day and a half uh, of some cooler weather and maybe – half a day of rain and just by doing that cleared it out enough that we were talking earlier um and i was i was able to see mars the the glowing red uh, of mars there and then the the you could see the milky way and it was almost like um it was almost like it was layers after layers after layers that you could see into the Milky Way. It mm. was it was so crisp because it was a cool morning. Um, it was probably uh, forty five degrees or so. So it was a cool morning. So there was it was just a beautiful morning for us to be able to see. That yeah, was about four thirty in the morning when I was out there. So mm. yes. Yeah. So 
So let's move on to number two. Uh, does Scripture confirm the transcendence and the imminence of God? Absolutely, and here we're probably going to look more at the transcendence aspect, and we'll come back to the imminence a little bit later on. But um, the, the personal name of God, the tetragrammaton is what it's actually called, the YHWH, it's the personal name of God. Uh, some people pronounce it Jehovah, but the more likely pronunciation is Yahweh. Uh, it, it means I am what I am. And even the personal name of God speaks to the self-existence of God. And, and God is the only being that could be self-existent. Uh, he, he's the only being that could ever have this form of transcendence, this totally otherness. Not even the angels in heaven have this. I mean, because at some point God created even the angels in heaven. Only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has this totally otherness, self-regeneration, self-existence that God possesses. And so this is all embodied in that personal name, Yahweh. And so we also see, and we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth if you'd like here, Curtis. I'll read uh, Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. It says, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born... Before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you were God. So the mountains, before the mountains ever came into being, before the world ever came into being, from eternity to eternity, God was, is, and forever will be. Mm -hmm. And we got uh, here in the New Testament, Jude, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time now and forever amen amen yes so you see, you see that there he's, he's talking about uh the glory and the majesty and the power it, it, he's listing these things these are all um things that <laughs> um we as human nature uh, try to um take on ourselves by by doing great and grander things but he's judas saying here look to, to, to Jesus be the glory, the majesty, the power. Yeah, and only God could ever... It's only God who could have that type of majesty and glory and power. Because think about right. it. You know, we do something. We, we, we're proud of it. I mean, it's like I'm coming to the end providing that I survive these last two courses and pass them. These <laughs> last two courses, if I pass them, will be the last two courses I take in this program. I've been at this since 2017. You know, um, I could boast in myself if I were to pass these classes, which I know I haven't yet. But if I were to pass these classes, I could boast and say, oh, look what I've done. But here's the humbling part about it. We could not do the things we do if it were not for God who gave us the power and the authority and the ability to do those things. And the brains, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. even it, with our greatest achievements, we still can't take credit for that. Because right. it's God... God is the one who placed us in the positions to do the things we do for His honor and for His glory, not for ours. So if we really catch a, gr a glimpse and, and get a grasp of the transcendence of God, it's really humbling and it builds humility in us to understand that everything is for the glory and honor of God on high. And this goes into Ephesians 3.21, which says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So God not only holds these attributes, he possesses them for all eternity. Yeah, and it goes back into the Old Testament here in Isaiah uh, 44.5. Uh, this one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will use the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand the Lord's and take on the name of Israel. Hmm. And so in this one, I think that we see uh, something along the lines of, of, of this, this ability. One will say, I am the Lord's. Another one will use the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and take on the name of Israel. I think the main point and the main gist in getting the transcendent nature of God is that, that uh, the, only the only way that this could be done is if God allowed it. Now you could also look, allowed it, yeah. you could also look into the imminent nature of God here in this regard, saying that you know, showing how this transcendent God is made personable uh, in this new covenant we see in Jeremiah 
that he says that uh, that this law is not written on stone, but this law mm-hmm. will be written on the hearts of man. And the so it, of the people, yeah. yeah, it becomes internalized in that sense. And so mm-hmm. I think in, in, in a certain fashion, you can see both the transcendent nature of God and the imminent nature of God in Isaiah 44, verse 5. So the next one, you got Revelation. Oh, yeah. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come, the Almighty. And Almighty means showing the all-power of God. And uh, mm-hmm. this, this means that, here again, this attribute of this all-power that he has is not something that came about at some point in time. He's always possessed that for all eternity. Mm. That's that's uh that's uh when you know there's some things in Revelation when you when you hear it when he says it when when it's being said um, who is to come you, you know who is the one who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty we covered some of that in previous podcasts and I think what's what's amazing to me is. He, he he's showing us not only in in the scripture he's showing us what we've already covered in in some of the other podcasts but he's he's showing us that all of it ties together absolutely how, how it tie, how it ties together absolutely yeah. yeah so you want me to read revelation 21 sure that sounds good okay then he said to me it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the springs of the water of life. I love this passage of Scripture because it's amazing if you stop to think about this, that that, that Christ on the cross, before he gave up the ghost, said, Tentelestai, it is finished. I don't have the word in front of me, but the word is very comparable when it says, It is done. It, this this it is done is saying that the totality of salvation, the totality of this evangelistic campaign has come to a close. That God has brought all things together, the the resurrection, the spirit body connection, uh, which is going to be the spiritual body that the Bible tells us about, and even all of creation comes back to this to this perfect uh, creation that God has in store for us. This creation now is good. But at that time, it'll be perfect. And so he shows that he's bringing this all to completion. He is the beginning and the end, transcendent. He, and he's giving everyone the eminence, the closeness of God, giving to the one who is thirsty, giving them from the spring of the water of life. If you're spiritually thirsty, this transcendent God will become very personal and give you the nourishment you need right as you need. Yeah, yeah and in, in Psalms it tells us, Come taste the Lord and see that He is good. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so we see that right there. We taste the water of life, and we know that He is good. And then it brings you back even to Psalm one, and it's blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And then it goes into saying He will be like a tree planted by the river of living water. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. And then Revelation twenty two thirteen. I'm not sure. I, I lost track getting off on that other one. I'll go ahead and read it right quick. It says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, the God of the spirits of the prophets, the one who oversees uh, the, 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 uh, the uh, spiritual nature of all things, the physical nature of all things, given the word of prophecy, as God is the ultimate author of Scripture, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So here again, through the word of God, we have the transcendent God speaking through prophets, priests, and kings, and, and apostles, writing down his revelation so that future generations can understand the word and ways of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it's, it's amazing when we, when we understand that, because it, it even tells us in Scripture that even the prophets of that time, when they were when they were writing it down, they were searching out what they're writing down. They they didn't have a full complete understanding. 
and and so this is the spirit writing through people using their uh, their their specific writing style or or their character themselves the words that they use the 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 area they grew up in their experiences their life experiences using all of that to speak and move through them for them to write it down in a manner that they would do it and for us to see in the that we can look back at it now and we can see God mightily working through those people. Absolutely. And, and it's and, and again, my mind's on Carl Bart because I just finished reading a bunch of Carl Bart's church dogmatics. But the one thing he one of the things he says that I found fascinating is that he compares the word theonoustos in 2 Timothy, where it talks about all Scripture is God-breathed. The word is theonoustos, uh, which means God's spirit or God breath, God's breath. And so Bart will look at this, and he says that he believes that this, this, that this uh, spirit of God, was, that, this, that this word of revelation was breathed out from God to the writers of Scripture. So you have human agency, but the human agency is under the authority of the primary author who is God. So it's almost as if the, the writers of Scripture are like God's amanuensis or God's secretary or God's scribes. They're writing down. They have the freedom to use their own style and own ways, but God is granting them the word of revelation coming from the Holy Spirit, granting them this word so that God is the ultimate author of the scriptures. Amazing. It's just amazing. <laughs> so I'm about to so have a shout and spell over here. I don't know about you, but man, it's getting good. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Preach it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So number three, if God is transcendent, can we know anything about God? This is a question that many theologians ask and many people ask. If God is so transcendent, how can we know? Well, and, and here again, here's something that, this is called, something that Karl Barth uh, discusses in his works. Uh, Barth held that there was a bit of mystery between the... In fact, he would even say that revelation itself is a mystery because you have the hiddenness of God, which means you know we can't see God face to face. You know, so God is hidden in that regard, but yet through revelation, God peels back the layers and and unveils truths about Himself. So there's it's an, a bit of mystery, Bart says. Uh, so it's like God opens up the veil; He illuminates the minds of humanity about His existence and His ways. So some people would say that it's only through revelation that we can know anything about God. Now, however, I'm more in the lineage of Thomas Aquinas and Emil Bruner. Emil Bruner and Karl Barth actually had a major uh, d debate over this very topic. Barth would say that there's no way that we could ever know anything of in our human minds about God, except that God specifically tells us. Uh, Bruner, he follows Thomas Aquinas to say that when it comes to the specific nature of God, there's only the only way we can know is is by God revealing that. But... God has given us clues in creation, as we find in Romans 1 and Acts 17, that we can know certain things about God just by observing the creation. And this sure. is something that Aquinas said, and this is what we call natural theology. Uh, natural theology consists of those things in creation that bring to mind certain things about God. So, for instance, when we talk about the Kalam cosmological argument uh, or uh -huh. design arguments, they tell us, as as um, as Thomas Aquinas would t say, they tell us that a God exists, but it doesn't tell us who this God is. Right. And so it's like God has left clues in creation, so that as Romans one one says, uh, that there's none of us who have an excuse to believe in God. You know, all of us are without excuse. We all should believe in God because of the creation. But Aquinas notes that natural theology can only lead us so far. It takes special revelation to let us know certain details about God. So sure, yeah. Natural theology can tell us that a God exists. Natural theology can tell us that Jesus rose from the dead and he was crucified. I think we have enough evidence to say those things. But it doesn't tell us what the resurrection means. 
It doesn't tell us the personal nature of who God is. And so those things come to us when God specially reveals those truths about himself to us. So, again, natural theology is there, is prevalent, and can take us so far, but the transcendence of God becomes personal to us when God reaches down and and touches our lives and opens our eyes to his existence. Right. Yeah, and with with it, you could you could almost say that uh, there's two um, two sets of scriptures. One is the what we see in nature and what we see in the world, and then what we pick up and we read. That's that's the divine revelation. Absolutely, that's a good way of putting it. Yes. So number four, if God is transcendent, can we truly have a relationship with God or God with us? Here, here again is another question that's asked in theology. If, if God is completely transcendent and is completely the, the otherness, as we mentioned, can this otherness know and per, you know, personally relate to people? And I would say absolutely. Uh, but, but it must, I would say why not? Why not? You know, what, yeah. what would be the purpose in God making relational people if God didn't choose to have a relationship with those people. I mean, God didn't yeah. have to. I mean, he's not he's not forced to. But why would he? You know, that that's that's another question. Um mm-hmm. so but we have to understand that God is the first mover. We don't choose God. And again, I'm not saying this as a Calvinist because I'm not a Calvinist. But God chooses to reveal himself to us. And this is what John tells us in 1 John 4.19. We love because God first loved us. And so even our faith, even in our relationship with God, it's a gift given to us. So all of this is a revelation of God unfolded before us. And and through this, through the Holy Spirit especially, we have that intimate fellowship, uh, that tabernacle with God as he tabernacles with us. And speaking of, that's a festival that's coming up. So everybody be aware of a festival coming up called Sukkot. It's when God comes and tabernacled with us. Well, that's a perfect time to talk. (laughs) It's perfect perfect. timing there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's coming up after Yom Kippur. So uh, it's pretty serious stuff. So, (laughs) Uh, but there was there was something I was going to say about that, and I just and I I kind of. One, I started kind of checking up on it. I was like, yeah, I don't want to ask it. And now I've kind of, I've kind of, I guess, why would it be a question for, for people? Is why, why would it be something that we question whether God could have a relationship with us? If he's made us with a desire to know more people and to always be surrounded by people and to to have friends and and to have a desire to to be in relation with people why would we think that god wouldn't be of relation with us and then second and then secondly and, and then secondly there's there's pictures of it in scripture i mean you you moses abraham you know um adam and eve you know there's just so I, I really, I guess I have a hard time with that. Why would it be an issue? Well, I think that as you dig deeper into what this transcendence means, and you see the totally otherness of God as such, um, as, as God even being uh, on a different um, level of time, uh, and God even being within himself... An eternal relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Whereas, I mean, because so God doesn't really need anything. He doesn't even have to have a relationship with us. I mean, He would be right. perfectly fine if He never even created us, uh, so to speak. So when we when we see this otherness of God, I think in some minds, it 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 almost seems like God is so far beyond that even a relationship with us would be would would be just out of the question, you know, because why would God need that, you know? And I think there are some other issues when you start talking about uh, if, if you hold to the simplicity of God uh, where 
does that change something in the nature of God if he begins to have a relationship with a person? Now, I, I think there's an easy way around that myself, but, um, but those are kind of where those questions come from because when, when you start t- thinking about the otherness of God, how he's on a different plane in every single situation we can imagine, it just seems to be that that, that couldn't work you know, in a personal relationship. As, as such. But you're right. The pictures of Scripture tell us otherwise that uh, God is very imminent. And that's why I think when you have transcendence, you also need to have eminence in your theology because, and then when you have eminence, you also need to hold on to the transcendence because when you start going one way or the other, transcendence with no eminence leads to deism. Eminence, eminence with no transcendence leads to pantheism or panentheism. So, right. Theism, as we classically understand it, holds both the transcendent nature of God and also the imminent nature of God. Mm. Yeah, I, I get. I understand that part of it, and I just, I just still think that, in, in some ways, are are people thinking too far out there, too hard out there, to where they can't see it? Because to me. I'm in awe in the fact that God is transcendent in in the universe and it's transcendent in time, but yet He still calls me by name. Oh, absolutely. You know, I he, I, I read the scriptures and I'm and I'm broken because of how He's how He's touching me as I'm as I'm working through a scripture and I'm thinking of how do I apply this and I and I'm just God. I can't believe that you're you're even having a conversation with me. And I think that's something that I, I don't know, I guess that's something that, that I, I would kind of still bat against, you know, somebody with the, the fact, thinking that God couldn't be personal. Well, yeah, and I would agree with that. I, mean, I think that there are a lot of other details that, that, that go into that that would probably take us beyond the scope of where we want to go. But, but even the whole nature of, of knowing God. Thomas Aquinas asked this question. Could we ever really completely understand even the attributes that we've spoken, uh, that we've addressed, could we really completely even understand that? And so some people would say that when God gives us a directive that it's univocal, which that he's given us the exact representation of himself, other people would say, no, it's all symbolic. Uh, or equivocal, but then Aquinas would say that it's analogous, analogous meaning that when we talk of love, you know, we, we know what love is, but the love that we understand uh, that God would have pales in comparison to what his love actually is in eternity uh, and the way it actually is. So I think they're coming from, uh, at least guys like Aquinas, they're coming from a real humble state understanding the fact that even when we talk about these attributes of God, even though we have a grasp on them, there's no way we could ever really completely understand them in their totality. And so some people would carry that over even with the relationship. Uh, now, now let me just say in classic theism, they would say there is a relationship of sorts, uh, but some different people are coming from different angles with this. So I don't want to give I don't want to give the impression that that if there are theologians out there who, who don't believe that this relationship is imminent the way we understand it, that they're necessarily uh, unorthodox or they're necessarily heretics or anything of the sort, they may just be coming from different biases or different uh, applications as such. But I do believe, as we see in Scripture, that uh, God is closer than a brother. That means that he is very near us, he's very with us, that this transcendent God is is very close to us. And as you said, Curtis, I am right there with you. This ought to humble us. We ought to be people of great humility when we recognize that fact about God. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, number five, what about God could we really know if God is completely transcendent? 
this kind of goes in the same thing. Yeah, it does. It, you know, so as we mentioned, by natural theology or general revelation, we can know that God exists. And I think this is the reason why we see that there are so many different religions out there. Uh, you know, Homo sapiens means the 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 uh, wise man, but I think you could even say that that uh, I think I think the word's religioso, or maybe Homo religioso, I think is the right term. I may be wrong, but you could say that 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 human beings are the religious man. So we all have this desire to relate to something higher than ourselves. Now, some people, everybody's going to worship something. Okay. So we have this innate desire to worship. Uh, so that's why so many different people go down these different tracks. So, so one may ask, doesn't all religions claim to know God? Well, not all religions do, but most of them uh, do have some notion of a transcendence involved in its, in its philosophy or theology. But it may be that some of these religions have some light of truth, However, the full disclosure of God's revelation, and again, I'm going to have to agree with Karl Barth on this aspect, the fullness of God's revelation is found in Jesus Christ. As was evidenced by the miracles that Jesus performed, the overcoming of death by the resurrection, the victory over hell, and the transformation that he still brings to lives that trust in him. And there's something really special about this incarnation uh, Bart even goes on to say that uh, we see this grand mystery and the fullness of divine revelation in the Incarnation because the divine transcendent God embodied flesh in Jesus Christ. And this is further made special by the Holy Spirit. Because think about this, Curtis. If, if you are a child of God, which I know you are, and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. That means God's Shekinah glory, the same Shekinah glory that came down in the Holy of Holies, resides in the tabernacle of your heart. Coming to reside and making a tabernacle in us. And by a person's heart, we're talking about the inner man, the mind, will, and emotions, the totality of the inner person. This is absolutely phenomenal when we consider this. And so... Um, this transcendent, eminent God is found completely in Jesus Christ, and that transcendence and eminence embodies us or, 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 or is brought to us through what we call the Holy Spirit, who we know to be the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, <laughs> when you start thinking about it in, in those aspects, um, that, that through the Incarnation... He embodied flesh, you, you know, and, and became man. And 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 when he left, he said, uh, when he says, "I cannot stay here, I'll send a helper." And he sends that. And, and you think about that in in Acts when it talks when he's on the day of Pentecost, and and when all those are there, and in the cloves of fire came upon them mm. the the spirit the power of the spirit coming to dwell with them with man powerful absolutely so number six how do we explain the hiddenness of god so th- this this is a theological point that that we need to see the totality of scripture to understand the hiddenness of god pertains to our inability to see god this, this hiddenness, though, is for our benefit. So go, go back with me, if you will, to back to the book of Genesis. In the Garden of Eden, humanity was able to walk and reside with God, being able to see and commune with God perfectly. Uh, you know, and I still say that they... I don't know that, that humanity would have seen God in all of His glory even then. I don't know that. Uh, I, I really just don't think that they were. But anyhow, yet due to the entrance of sin, Adam and Eve were cast from the Garden of Eden, which has often made me wonder if the Garden of Eden may have been some type of portal to God's throne of, of sorts or something like that. I, I don't know. It just It's really fascinating to consider. But from that point, a separation was found between humanity and God. Were Adam and Eve able to f- see, fully see God in His glory? Uh, as I mentioned before, I don't think so. But were they able to access God to some degree? Absolutely. If we were to be able to see God in His full glory today, living in the sinful bodies of flesh that we currently reside, 
in, in which we currently reside. We could not handle the power of God's being. So the hiddenness of God is for our benefit. In fact, we see, and I think it's Second Peter, where it talks about the Father stepping on the scene of creation and all the molecular structure of the universe just dissipates before the power of His glory. Uh, you know, that is a ton of power we're talking about there. And, and this body, finite body of flesh, we could not stand before God as we are and survive. We just could not. I mean, think about this. I remember going to a, um, uh, a power plant in Danville, Virginia, many years ago, and uh, when you had these electrical generators there, you had these electrical generators there uh, attached to these massive transformers, and without special equipment, you could only go so far, otherwise you would be zapped in your tracks unless you had this special equipment that, that would allow you to go closer to the transformers and the generators, because there was that much energy being produced in that power plant. Uh, we think about nuclear power. We think about, uh, I mean, for instance, the sun. I mean, you, you go out in the sun without a sun lotion. You get a sunburn. This is coming from the rays of the sun penetrating your body. We're talking yeah, about we're, a mediocre... Go, go ahead, I'm sorry. And we're how many miles away from it? Oh, yeah. I, I'm not even sure, but we're talking <laughs> even here about a mediocre star. Our sun is a wonderful star. I thank the Lord for our sun. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a, it's a middle-grade star. Uh, there's right. a lot of stars far bigger than our sun. What makes us, if we get a simple little sunburn from, a, from the star that's nearest us, which is what, who knows how many miles away, what in the world makes us think that we could stand before God in all of His awesome power and glory and, and be okay? Uh it's for our benefit. Now, this is why human beings have to be purified and transformed to live eternally and completely in God's presence. Uh, that's the reason we need salvation. That's the reason we need to go through the sanctification. That's why we needed the cleansing blood of Christ to atone us our sins and to allow us to be able to step into the very throne room of God's presence. Mm -hmm. You think about that, I mean... Just the 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 part where in the Old Testament where where Moses is up on on the mountain and he says, "I just want to see your I just want to see you, God. I want to see your glory. I want to see." And God's like, "You can't." Mm -hmm. And so, but 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 he allows him a, to have a glimpse of it by by hiding. This is powerful because this this is this is just types and shadows all over the place but he hides Moses in the cleft of a rock mm -hmm. as he goes by and Moses is able to see the the basically God's afterburners but the back part of God <laughs> I like you that. Know? yeah and so I mean so he's hiding him there and then and then later on the the you know the people of Israel when Moses would come down off the mountain after meeting with God, he'd have to have a veil on his face to, to so they could, because they were freaked out. Your face is glowing. You know, put something over that. And, and that's just from being in the presence of God up on the mountain. Well, even consider the, the celebration you mentioned, the festival upcoming, Yom Kippur. When, mm -hmm. when there was a temple, the high holy priest... And this only happened one time at Yom Kippur. Would go yep. through this this system of uh, of purification to prepare himself to enter just a smidgen of God's glory, the Shekinah glory that came down in the Holy of Holies, not the totality of God's presence, but just a smidgen of His presence. He went through all of this to prepare himself, and it said, "Now I, I don't I don't have this confirmed. I, I believe it to be true, but it is said that the high priest would wear a rope around one of his feet." so that if he were struck down by the presence of God for failing to go through the purification rites, that another priest could pull him out without going in the Holy of Holies himself. Um, we do know for a fact in Scripture that on the Ark of the Covenant, the people were told not to touch it because it possessed a, a portion of the power of God, just a drop in the bucket of God's power. Well, remember the story where a guy did touch the Ark of the Covenant to correct it because it was falling, and God struck him down. 
Why? Yeah. Because the power of God is so awesome. It is so yeah. awesome that no one can stand in His glory and survive as it as it as we are right now. Yeah, and you think about like like you were showing the example of uh, the sun being being close to the sun or being outside getting sunburned. Imagine being close to the sun. I mean, you just use the sun mm. as a the sun the you know, sun itself as a example of God's power. Um, it's it's not the sun being evil if we get too close and we melt if it oh, melts absolutely. our face off right absolutely. right so, so we see that as an example we could use that as an example might not be the perfect but it'd be an example of it absolutely yeah I mean you can even only go so far to the sun as it exists now before yeah. you have I mean because there's a reason why. That, that NASA and Elon Musk are looking at putting people on Mars instead of Venus. Because Venus is something like, I believe, 750 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's, it's, it's a little bit closer to the sun than the Earth is. Mars is colder. We can, we can put on enough clothing and put on enough equipment to survive that. <laughs> Venus, you can't do anything with Venus. There's no reason to even think about going to Venus because it's just going to be an inferno. Yeah, titanium's going to melt. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's no yeah. use to even thinking about that. I mean, mercury, as they say in New York, forget about it. It's not going to work because it's mm -hmm. even closer to the sun. So you can only get so far even with equipment to the sun before the power of that star just completely vaporizes whatever's coming close to it. Again, mm -hmm. imagine that, bringing that before an awesome God who is wholly transcendent, wholly powerful. I mean, this is above and beyond what any of us could ever think or imagine. And can I just say one more thing? I know I'm, I'm, I'm I just feel spiritually charged here. I'm just telling you, brother. But uh, we have a lot of people who say, when I get to heaven, I want to tell God this, and I'm going to tell him off. I'm going to tell him this thing. I'm going to tell him off. I double-dog dare you. Because yeah. I guarantee you, if you catch a glimpse of God's power, you're going to be like many of the people who see His glory and it says that they fell as dead men. On their face. You yeah. know what that means? They passed out. That's what yeah. it means, they passed out. People are not going to do this. When they catch a glimpse of the, the power and glory of God, it, it's not going to be anything like what we imagine it to be. It's going to be yeah. absolutely awesome. Yeah. You know, and one thing really kind of caught me when you were talking about the 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 high priest going in once once a year on Yom Kippur the the curtains the veil on the temple was designed in such a way that that nobody could could be standing in a position where they could actually catch a glimpse or look into the holy of holies mm. um, it, it overlapped in such a distance that the, the priest could go in one and then shimmy down the other side, but then it was overlapped enough that it wouldn't allow any of the of the glory to be seen. Wow. It, because of that, mm -hmm. think about how thick that thick, how thick that veil was, that curtain. Wasn't it something like a couple, two or three inches deep? Yes, four inches, four inches thick. Yeah, four inches thick. I mean. And even think about this, when Jesus died on the cross, it was ripped from top to bottom. Yep. Four inches thick. <laughs> Nobody, no, no. no human being no, could have done that. Wait a minute. Just think of this. You're the priest there. You're the high priest, and that <laughs> veil rips from top to bottom. You just, oh, oh what just happened? You well, know. And here, here's another thing. At Yom Kippur, uh, they went through, uh, was it the Urim and the Thummim? That, yep. they, that they cast to see whether or not to ask God, do you accept this, this offering that we've given? And I have heard it said, again, I don't, have, I, don't have the, I don't have the quotation, but I have heard it said that after Christ died, they always received the answer no, that it was not received from the time of Christ's death all the way up until the destruction of, of, the, of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Yeah, until the temple was gone. Yeah, it, there's a lot to that one right there. Absolutely, the being gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, 
Number seven, what is the eminence of God? So we've been talking a lot about the transcendence of God, and so just as a point to talk about the eminence of God. The eminence of God means that God is near all people. So as you mentioned a while ago, uh, and you're right, that, that, that even though God is transcendent, God is very personal with us. Uh, the eminence of God is His nearness to us. So while God is transcendent, He is near to all of us through especially God's Holy Spirit. Here again is why the Trinity makes sense. The Father exists in His transcendent glory on high above and beyond all things. His power is awesome and glorious. Christ is the incarnation, the embodiment of God come to us. Emmanuel, which means God with us. He tabernacled with us. Okay, so He came and embodied Himself. Okay, the Holy Spirit is the, the, the presence of God coming from the Father and Son into our lives. So you can still have God transcendently on high, which is the Father, being embodied as a person to interact with people through Jesus Christ the Son, and then coming to us imminently with all of us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity just makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really does. So, one key evidence, we've read some passages of Scripture that uh, indicated this. One really good one comes in Acts 17. So, um, let me go back and read this. Um, in fact, let me just go back to 24 and then and pay special attention to 27. So Paul is, is giving the word at the Areopagus, and he said that they had an altar to an unknown God. Therefore, uh, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it. Here he's talking about the transcendence of God. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. That's the aseity of God. Since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things, again, the transcendence of God, from one man he made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and boundaries of where they live. Here's here's an amazing thing about that, Curtis. God appointed you to be where you are. God appointed me to be where I am. He appointed us together to be on this podcast at this particular time, at this particular place, at this particular hour. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. Paul, in his genius, inspired by the Holy Spirit, encapsulates encapsulates this transcendent, imminent nature of God in his message to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. Even though God is high and lifted up, transcendent as he is, he is very near to each and every one of us, beckoning us to enter a relationship with him if we should listen and receive him. Right. That goes to the scripture that, that came to my mind today as I was just pondering and thinking of things. It's Isaiah 55, 6. It says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And that's, this just lets us understand that he wants a personal relationship with us. He wants us. He's telling us, Seek me. Come come look for me. Come find me. Because you'll find me. If you're actually truly seeking, you'll find Jesus. You'll find the answers. Um, I've wholeheartedly believe that that those that seek with a with a with an actual seeker's heart and a seeker's mind um they will find what they need to find in the scriptures leading them to the salvation of christ and the amazing thing is is even as they seek god is the first mover moving wanting relationship with them so even the Mm -hmm. desire to seek him is something that even god is moving in a person's life to to bring people to himself Right, right. It's kind of like what I was talking about um, earlier this week with in Luke. Um, was that Luke nineteen when he's talking about um, with Zacchaeus? Um, you know, he's going through, and he he's like, "Wait a minute, I got to go through. I got to go through in this town to 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 find. I've got an appointment." And uh, Zacchaeus is up in that tree, looking looking at Jesus, trying to figure out who is this Jesus guy. 
and Jesus turns to him and says, "Today, I need to be. I need to come and abide in your in your house." Hmm. And and then later on in the lower part of that, it says, "Today, salvation has come to your house. Hmm. Salvation has come to this house." So there it is. God's moving. God's coming towards us. It's just us having to open our eyes and look for him. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been a good one. And we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending the time together with us. And we value that time. Our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast. And until next time, Brian and I say... Soldier on, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons Copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristie.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristie.com now and submit your question. Some say the best Bible translation is the one that's most literal, word for word through and through. But there's not always a direct English translation of ancient words. So others say the best Bible translation should favor readability. Thought for thought. Holding on to the same meaning. But we can all agree that the very best Bible translation is one you trust. And one that you want to read. One that stirs your heart and moves you to share its truth. The Christian Standard Bible has been shown to be an optimal blend of accuracy and readability compared to other leading translations. The very best balance, faithfulness to the original text, and clear language that connects to the heart. After all, it's not so much about changing your Bible translation, but about seeing the Bible change your life. Point your heart to True North, the Christian Standard Bible.
The Christian Standard Bible is the official translation of bellatorchristi.com. Go pick up your translation of the CSB today.